Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you here. Getting a couple of waves. That's nice. Uh, a really warm welcome to you uh, this morning. Uh, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I get to lead this congregation, which is lovely. And we've got a fabulous team made up of Sam and Els, who you've already met before, and Julia, as well as on the site team. I don't know where Julia is. She's probably serving in candles this morning. And Dan Coe as well. Where's Dan? He's probably in youth. Possibly. No, he's not. He's there. There he is, Dan. He's just had half terms. You always get the teachers on good form at this Sunday, and then it's downhill. Um, uh, we are uh, continuing this series called Loving People Towards Jesus. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you'd like to open it to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 4 through to 12, and then straight after that, I'm going to read a quote from an American Methodist bishop. Uh, called Will. Uh, so get ready for that. Um, but we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and the words are also going to appear on the screen. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who call you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is what Bishop Will says. Uh, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community that there can be no other explanations other than something decisive has happened in history." Over the last month or so, we've been going through uh, this book called Loving People Towards Jesus, and uh, Dub Everett, who wrote the book, is actually coming to speak here at City Church on Sunday the 3rd of March, so that's two Sundays' time. Uh, so you'll get to hear him, and uh, as Sam said, we're going to follow it with lunch afterwards. And the aim of the series really has been to equip each one of us 
to share our faith with others in a normal, relaxed, conversational way, to see the opportunities that God has given us to build friendships with those around us and pray that doors would be open for us to share our lives and to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And so this morning we're going to look at another aspect of what this looks like. And so this message, I guess, is called Loving People into Community. And for me, this is one of the most exciting parts of following Jesus because as we do it, we, as we live for Jesus, we get to do it alongside one another. We get to see how God uses the church community to draw people to himself. And it's, it's the community of the church that played a significant role in me coming to faith. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, both my parents uh, are followers of Jesus. We went to church growing up. And looking back now, I realized that I had taken the church community for granted. And so it wasn't until I left home, I took, took a year out, and it was at that point that you know, I'd, I'd not done particularly well in life up to that point, really. Um, so I'd flunked my A-levels. I was disconnected from God. I, I think I was a pretty difficult teenager to parent by my parents, for my parents. Uh, things hadn't really gone according to plan. Got involved in things that certainly didn't help me. And it was uh, an invite from someone I'd left home, uh, was living, uh, spent some time in New Zealand. I think my parents had sent me away to the other side of the world to spend some time with some good Christian friends that they knew. Uh, and I didn't really want anything to do with church, faith, just wasn't really interested at that point. And I started working in a local primary school, doing a bit of sports coaching, and someone that I worked with was a Christian and invited me to play some tag rugby. Uh, and so uh, I, I thought, yeah, why not? I'll give it a shot. Let's do this. So uh, every week I would turn up, play a bit of tag rugby with a group of lads, and some of them went to a local church. And after playing, we'd have a drink, uh, and they would just start talking about life and the things of life and concerns they have and battles that they were facing. And there was a level of honesty and reality that they were talking with that I just never really experienced before. And then they began to pray for one another. And, and, and that wasn't weird to me. I'd grown up in church. But I, I don't think I'd really fully experienced anything like it before. And so out of that group, someone invited me along to church, a little bit like this one. And uh, God got hold of me on that first Sunday uh, in that church community. And uh, I remember coming back, and although I probably looked a little bit more disheveled with an earring and longer hair, uh, mum and dad both said to me, There's, something has changed in you. And it wasn't just the appearance. There was something that was different. And it's because God, through this community, had changed my life. The passage of scripture that we have read in 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us something about this same community that I had encountered. And as we look at it together, we'll see that the community described here is not like any other expression of community that you might find in the world. Peter, uh, who wrote this letter, is writing to a group of churches, a group of believers who are in modern-day Turkey, and encouraging them to continue to live for Jesus in a world that is hostile to them, hostile to the gospel of Jesus, 
in a world where they are experiencing persecution and opposition for their faith. And Peter writes to them in the passage that we've read to share with them his primary concern, which is this, that these believers would know who they are and that out of their true identity that they have been given in Jesus, that they would live that out in their day-to-day lives. If you, it'd be helpful to have the passage out in front of you. If you look at the words and expressions that Peter uses to describe the followers of Jesus, in verse 5, he, he says, you are like living stones. So he describes Jesus as the living stone, and then he says, you are like living stones and are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. In verse 9, he says that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And in verse 10, Peter writes, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. But just in verses 4 to 10, there are, there are two things that I'd love us to think about. And the first is this, is that Christianity is communal. Christianity is communal. Look at who Peter addresses and how he addresses them. He, he is writing to groups of believers. He's addressing them in the plural, living stones, a priesthood, a chosen people, a, a holy nation. The people of God. Peter is describing the church here, the community of God's people. And before we get into specifics about what Peter is saying and the imagery that he is using, what is striking is that to be a follower of Jesus is to be wrapped up into the people of God, the church. In fact, it's one of the key messages of of the Bible, that the pattern of salvation in the scriptures is, is something that happens in the context of community. That's, that's the pattern. If you look at a story of, of salvation, of someone getting saved, it always happens either as a result of community or they get saved into a community. And it's not just in the New Testament. If you look at the people of God, the Israelites, think about the Exodus story. Moses leads the people of God out of slavery and into a promise. And that is, that is salvation. It happens within a people group. If you, if you go to the New Testament and that, that well-known passage in Acts chapter 2 where Peter stands up and preaches to the crowds after Jesus' death and resurrection and the crowds listen to Peter and say, what must we do? And Peter says, be baptised in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and then the writer of Acts, Luke says, and 3,000 people were added to that number to those who were already being saved. They were being added into a community. True gospel salvation always happens in the context of community. And yet somewhere along the way, the individual has become far more prominent, not just in society, but actually in the language and the practices of the church. I don't know if you noticed that, that 
that some of the things that happen in mainstream society begin to filter in to how the church then operates. I don't know if you've noticed that before. So you might hear someone, I know I've done it before, where you say, Jesus is my own personal Lord and Savior, which is true, but it robs the communal aspect of, of what Jesus has done. You even notice it in contemporary worship songs that we sing. I don't know what songs you sang this morning, but here we go. But have you noticed that there are an increasing number of songs that have the word I, my, myself, me. Just the thinking around the individual rather than a collective communal life together. And of course Jesus, he has individual conversations with it. It's not that he's not interested in you personally. And we heard about Jesus coming to Zacchaeus just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And coming to his house and eating a meal. He's, he's deeply committed to you. But don't let that outstrip God's heart for a community, for a people. A people that he would call his own. Once you were not a people and now you are the people of God. You don't just belong to God, but you actually therefore belong to one another in a strange sense. You, you've been called together, united together. Salvation isn't just being rescued from your sin, but you are rescued into something. You are rescued into his church, into his community. You are rescued into the people of God. That is the pattern. And because that is the pattern, it tells us something about what mission should look like in the context of the church. That mission, the pattern of mission is always to be done communally. If salvation happens in the context of community, then surely mission happens collectively. And so when we think about loving people towards Jesus, it's not that at the end of a message or end of a Sunday or a connect group, you just think, right, what do I have to do now? It's, it's what do we do? What are we going to do? How are we going to reach a city? How are we going to share the life and health that we have found in Jesus together? How are we going to share that to those who don't have that and experience that for themselves? The Christian life is not done in isolation. It's done in community. And when you are saved and brought into relationship with Jesus, you're actually brought into relationship with a communal God. That right from the outset, you were drawn into community, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Community is right at the center of who God is. So it's, it's madness to think that salvation is anything other than a communal experience. And Peter wants us to know that. That's why he's using these phrases. But the other thing that he wants us to know, look at the language that he uses in these verses, because he's using some imagery that would have been really familiar to, to those people he was writing to, but perhaps not so much for us. He describes, let me remind you, living stones, priesthood, chosen people, holy nation, the people of God. Peter is using what is known as temple language, language to describe 
the temple of God. The temple in the Old Testament was where God's presence was on the earth. And the Israelites, God's chosen people, would travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to God, to atone for their sins. They would do it through a priest who would conduct the sacrifices on behalf of the people before God. And the worship of the temple involved religious rituals. It involved men from the precise tribe to conduct these rituals. It involved specific equipment being used at certain times. There were criteria for who had access to particular parts of the temple. And with all that imagery in mind about the temple and the priests, Peter is reminding these believers that they no longer have to come to a building of stone and offer animal sacrifices, but they come through Jesus Christ. And that God's presence is no longer confined to four walls, but has now made his presence in the hearts of those who've put their faith in him. You can be anywhere in the world and you have access to the Father in heaven. You are like living stones, not isolated, sterile, static people, but God's life has been breathed into you. And notice what it says, it says, we've come to a living stone, Jesus, who has now been made the cornerstone and we are being built together as a spiritual house. So yeah, we, we meet in an old Anglican building, but there isn't really nothing very... If you've been here for any length of time, you know there's nothing special about this building. People come and think, wow, this is amazing. You, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> we come because God is building people together to be the dwelling place of his presence here on earth. Peter writes in verse 10, of our passage, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you're asking the question, how, does, how has this happened? How has God made a way that his presence would now dwell amongst his people, a people who are lost in their sin and have rebelled against him? How would that happen? Well, it's through mercy. It's through Jesus' death on the cross for your sin and for my sin. When he was nailed to the cross, taking the blame for all the wrong things we have said, thought, done, he bore the wrath of God's righteous judgment towards sin. He took it upon himself. And this act, this sacrifice, as Bishop Will says, this was a definitive moment it was sin shattering it eliminated evil it defeated darkness and it changed the course of history Peter says once you were not a people and now you are the people of God and it hinges on this moment it's why we take communion it's why we sing about Jesus it's why we celebrate him because if you, if you look at the person next to you, you might want to do that, you might not want to. You might have some commonality. You may have even chosen 
to marry the person. You may want to marry the person next to you. Who knows? There you go. I'm getting older, so I can start to make those jokes, right? Those awkward pastor jokes. I can start making them now, I think. But there's nothing really that's called you together. And yet God has said, no, no, you are my people. You belong to me. I've rescued you, and I've now joined you together to form my people. And it is through the mercy that has been given to us through Jesus. Folks, Peter is describing the glorious church here. The wonder of the church. And it doesn't mean that it isn't messy and difficult because we're all in it. (laughs) We bring all our collective mess and challenges to it. But God is doing something incredible in the context of the church. He's building us together to shine like stars. You know, you you can be part of a community group, a social club, sports club. Some people are part of running clubs. Did you know that? It sounds sounds crazy to me. And they're great and, and would want to encourage you actually to do that more. But there's something unique, powerful, significant about being in the people of God. Because it's amongst God's people that we grow in our faith where we serve one another, where we celebrate baptism like we are going to next Sunday. We're having a baptism service here, which is exciting. It's where we share the Lord's Supper, communion together. It's in the context of the church that we sit under God's word and submit ourselves to it. It's in the context of the church that we are transformed as a community by the Holy Spirit. And it is as a community in the context of the church that we are to be a blessing to the city. The, the theologian Peter Lightheart, who I love reading, in drawing a contrast between the temple and the church, writes this In the old order, priestly service was housekeeping, you know, keeping everything ticking over, making sure everyone does the right thing. In the new order, all our priests called to the ministry of bodybuilding. I like that. Christian Cunningham likes that one. That's what we've been called to, to build each other up, to encourage each other, that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And again, Peter wants us to understand that when he's using this language, he's saying you are being built together to be a people, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, where my presence will dwell. And so if you want to grow in your faith, you do it in the context of the church. Let me flip it another way. It means that those who aren't engaged in the communal life of the church, whether it's Sundays or groups or hanging out with people in the church or having someone to pray with, prayer meetings, serving, whatever it is, if if church looks more like a loose association then you're missing out on so much. You're missing out on what it means to follow Jesus, missing out on what it means to be built together into this spiritual house. You're missing out on being on mission together and the joy that it is of what it means to be called by God to be a blessing to the city. 
Christianity is communal and the church is the context where we grow in our faith. And then in verses 11 and 12, Peter changes tact. If you just look at it with me, because he says, in, in light of all that you are in Christ Jesus, in light of what you've been called to, in light of the identity that you have, what he says this, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's saying, live differently. Be aware of your own desires and abstain from them. But then he says, live such good lives, in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter turns his attention to those who are not counted as the people of God, in verse 12. And he says, live such good lives among that they may see your good deeds, that they may see your lives, and one day that they would glorify God themselves. I mean, that is a fascinating verse, isn't it, verse 12? It's such an interesting thing for Peter to say. Because he's saying, live in such a way, not not necessarily speak, although it's involved in that, but live in such a way that people who don't know Jesus would see your lives and one day would glorify God themselves. I wonder what comes to mind when you hear those words, live such good lives. Because you could isolate those words and just think that living such good lives is is really just about trying hard to do the right thing. I must live such a good life and tick all the boxes. But Peter goes way further than that. (laughs) He goes way further than that and says, in a culture that is that is hostile to the things of God, hostile to the truth of God's word, a culture and a world that will in fact accuse you of doing wrong. Whether that's how we conduct ourselves in relationships, how we use our money, what our position is on gender, sexuality, marriage, what we teach our children about social media, how we live our lives, live such good lives in that way that though the world would say, you're mad for thinking that, you're mad if you believe that. You're, in fact, you're wrong. Peter says, no, no, live in such a way that people would see your lives and even though they accuse you of wrong, one day they will glorify God themselves. Peter is describing what it means to live a distinct life. We've been called to live differently than those around us. And for me, there are two huge encouragements for me in that one verse. Because when we choose to live distinctively and it feels completely counterproductive when it comes to mission, the promise here is that people will see our lives, see the integrity and be drawn to the gospel because of it. Because we are hardwired for truth. We've been made in the image of God. We we are hardwired for truth. And you can have the most 
opposing person and yet they are drawn to want to know what truth is and the gospel presents that to people the second encouragement is is that when a community commits to that this kind of living a living that involves growing together a community that loves one another that is generous and open-handed that takes the word of God seriously, not only does that produce health and life within the community, but it becomes so deeply appealing to those who stand outside of that. Because there is something going on that they cannot explain. That's what Bishop Will is saying. He's saying there is, there is a radical community that says that something decisive has happened in history, which is that the Lord Jesus came. God entered the world and sacrificed himself on the cross. And you can experience mercy and love yourself. Just before I finish, I thought I'd share a quick story of a friend called Sam. I think we've even got his photo up. There he is, Sam. Um, Sam, I went to uni with Sam. And... um, If you met Sam in 2008, he was the party ringleader in halls. Um, And uh, I had the joy of living next to him. (laughs) Uh, And um, although, you know, anything that was happening on campus at that time, Sam was likely spearheading the whole thing. He was that kind of character. He was just amongst it. And um, despite our different lifestyle choices at that point... Uh, we did have some common ground in that we both enjoyed playing sport. And so um, I had uh, a, f- a few of the friends that I'd met through the Christian Union. We played football fairly regularly. And Sam was a good footballer, so I just invited Sam along. And he just, there was nothing more than that. He just got to know some of my mates who we played football with and did that for, for a year or so. We moved out of the halls and we kind of lost touch for a couple of years. And... Um, and then suddenly in my third year, Sam just kind of appeared <laughs> in my life again. And he'd actually, he'd actually stayed in contact with some of my friends, which I felt was rude. It was like, you haven't stayed in touch with me. You prefer my mates more than me. Fair enough. Um, but he came back into our lives and he'd, and he'd got in touch with a couple of my mates and uh, I'd heard about it. And so I just reached out to Sam and said, Sam, I hear you've, you've met my other friend called Sam. And you had some really big questions about life and faith. And I just wondered whether you ever, if you ever wanted to come to church, you'd be really welcome to. And he said, I'm free this Sunday. So I was like, great, come on down. It was, it was here in this room and Adrian Holloway was preaching. It was a baptism service and Adrian Holloway was preaching. This was in 2012. And Sam came along on his own, met him outside um, and witnessed it all. And then the next day he messaged me on Facebook Hilarious, isn't it? Life in 2012. And he just said, hey man, I just want to say thanks for taking me along today. You've helped me take a massive step towards the life I've been wanting to live for so long. So cheers. (laughs) And that was it. It was here. And not long after that, Sam got baptised here. And... Uh, ended up working for a missions organisation from, from that moment, which he's still doing. Uh, it, it, it's honestly extraordinary how God works. And it was through just a very simple come and play football 
Uh, there really was, there was no agenda for me. It was just like, Sam's a good footballer, so let's get him involved. And God got hold of him. And notice what he said, the life I've been wanting to live for so long. This morning, I want to leave you with two questions. And I just want to invite the band back up again as I do that. Friends, we've got the opportunity to love people into community so that they would encounter Jesus for themselves, the life that they are longing for. We have that. And so this morning, I want to leave you with two questions. The first is this, really based off those verses 4 to 10 about what it means to be the church, the people of God. The first question is, in what ways can you live out more fully the communal aspect of being part of God's people? What needs to change in your thinking and in your life so that you would reflect better what it means to be the people of God? You might just want to think about that today. What would it, what would it, what would it look like in your life to give yourself to one another, to build each other up, to become the spiritual house that God is building. And, and the second question is, who and how could you live, love people into community so that they might encounter Jesus for themselves? God has placed people in your life that you can open the door to not just the church community, but to the Lord Jesus himself. There, there are people right now who are looking for the life they've always wanted. Who is that in your life? There are so many different ways we can do that. Dub in his book talks about a kind of hop, skip, jump approach where it's like a nice, easy invite to something very relaxed like a Christmas pudding event or a carol service or an Easter egg hunt, or Easter egg hunt that's happening in a few weeks or, or even just have some people around for dinner and, and just mix the social group up and see what happens. Invite a few friends from church and a few friends from work and just see, see how it plays out. Have a bit of fun with it. But there are people in your life that you can open the door to and love people into community. This city has never been more segregated and isolated in all its history, probably. There are so many people living on their own who don't have what we have. And we've got an opportunity to open the door to that. Who could that be for you? Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray as we finish. And we're going to worship together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth that we find in the Bible, that you haven't called us to live an individual, isolated, solitary life, but that you have rescued us, you have chosen us to not just be a people who hang out together, but to be your people. What a glorious truth that is, that we belong to the God of heaven and earth that the God of the universe would speak over us as a people and say, you are mine and nothing can take that away.
Lord, we ask for your help as we continue to serve one another, to love one another, to forgive one another. Lord, we pray that, I pray for the health and life of this local church, that we would continually be being built into a spiritual house where your presence is, where people experience freedom, where people hear truth, where people are healed and restored, where people are given second, third, fourth, fifth chances in life. And Lord, we pray that the attractiveness of your church would be on full display, not because there's anything good in us, but because we have experienced mercy from you. Lord, we desperately want to see a city changed, a city that knows and loves you. And we ask, Lord, would you, would you use us? In Jesus' name, amen.